Hi, this is Pastor Wilson with Renew Church OC. Thanks for joining our podcast. We're walking through the book of Luke, thinking about what it means to follow Jesus, to see the world the way he does, and to integrate his patterns into our life. I hope you enjoyed the sermon today. I also wanted to point you to the description section where you can find the church's website. We would love for you to visit our church and consider investing in our ministry. There's two other links. One is a podcast I do with a therapist at Renew Church, and we kick around issues like dating, mental health, and friendships. And lastly, there's a children's book series and a journal that I wrote with my wife and my mentor, and we'd love for you to look at those resources as well. Thank you so much for being a part of the Renew Church family, and I hope that you enjoy the sermon today. God bless. All right, welcome back, everyone. Thanks so much for sharing. I know it could be a heavy question, especially if you chose the first one, door number one. But we're going to go back uh, at the end of service and share and talk a little bit more. So definitely welcome you to do that. Um, I think about, yeah, just a moment in my life where I felt paralyzed. Oh, I'll wait for the music. Okay, great. Where I felt um, immobile. So. I remember laying in my bed and uh, I had just been diagnosed with depression. So the curtains were blacked out. I was sleeping 12, uh, 15 hours a day. And the things I used to love doing, whether it was mountain biking or hanging out with my friends or going to small group were just so difficult. Like I was canceling on my close friends and I was dragging myself out of bed. I was like, man, how did I get here? And what were the things that were going wrong in my life where I felt this immobilized? Because I'm kind of a Labrador, you know, I'm, I, I default happy, so it's hard to find a sad lab, but that's, that was me for like a few months just being, um, just laying in bed. And so some of the things that I thought about was first, uh, me and my first girlfriend broke up. We had dated for four and a half years. And um, we had considered marriage for a long time. It's so hard to break up with someone when you've dated for years because they become like your best friend. You're hanging out every other day. Um, You share life together. You share your friendship groups. You share food. And you kind of watch each other grow up, especially for me. I think I dated her around 24 to 28. And, um, And all of a sudden, on the day of breaking up, it's like they just disappear. Um, they become a ghost. It's almost like you lost a friend to death because you just stopped talking. Someone who is so close to you uh, becomes invisible. And so if you've ever gone, gone through a breakup, man, I just remember the pain of that. And then secondly, I was struggling in seminary. So I took Greek 2 and I failed it. And it, it brought back all my childhood wounds of failing fifth grade. But then I got diagnosed with ADHD and got Adderall, and then I took Greek 2 again, and I failed it again. (laughs) And I was like, it's not the ADD, I just can't do it. Like, it's me, it's just me who can't. So that was tough, and then um, I was having a hard time with my first church, I was on staff there. The the staffings were terrible, so we go in, we have to sing Chinese worship songs, but they also had hand motions, and it required a lot of finger movements. And I was trying to be cool at 25, so it's hard to do finger movements to worship songs. And then uh, our devotionals would get checked, and the staff meeting would be like 30 people and check-ins for each one, and then like a second round. 
So those, I would bike on Mondays because I was trying to get injured so I didn't have to go to a staff meeting on Tuesdays. It's like I'd rather break an arm than go to staff meeting. But the hardest part uh, during this season of my life, and for many seasons, was my addiction to pornography. And I just felt so trapped in it. I didn't know how to get out. I didn't know if it was possible. And it felt like this would just be a part of my life forever. So just the immense guilt that I wrestled with going from struggling with my addiction to preaching on Sundays or to small group or to hanging out with friends. And, and the, the, those parts of my life were just isolated from each other. But I would show up to Sundays with this heavy burden in my heart, and I didn't know where to place it. I didn't know, I, didn't, I, I couldn't talk to my pastor. I didn't feel like I could share with my friends. And so it was just me and God in this really quiet, isolated space trying to wrestle with it, but finding no success. Once a year, we would go to retreat, you know, and some of the guys would share, and we would just, like, dump our, our addiction out. That would be kind of the one time. But the other 364 days, we'd go radio silent. So all of those things cascaded into me feeling completely immobile, um, not knowing how to interact with people around me, not wanting to do ministry, not even wanting to get up in the morning. When I look at this passage in chapter uh, 5, verse 18, we're continuing in the book of Luke. The first person we see here is a man who is paralyzed. He's physically unable to walk. But I think we have all felt paralyzed or immobile in different parts of our lives, where we can't move, where we feel like we can't uh, gain ground or get to Jesus. And that's where this man was. But for someone who's physically paralyzed, you're able to see it. It's obvious. Some people extend compassion. Some people walk away. But you know what's wrong. You know it's his legs. But a lot of us are immobile internally. And it's hidden and invisible. So it's easy to cover it up with makeup or a smile or a manicured Instagram and just pretend like everything's okay when we show up with our family or at church or with our friends. But when I look at this man, I'm, I'm wondering what it looks like for us to live uh, in the places where we feel immobile, but being willing to show our wounds to Jesus and each other. Being willing to say, hey, these are the places where I'm hurting. And then I also see a man who's willing to be carried by others. Because some, it's hard to carry someone, but often it's harder to be carried by the people around us. So I'm wondering if we're willing to share our wounds like this man was, if we're willing to be carried in the places that we feel immobile, and if we're willing to go towards Jesus in our, in our pain. He was willing to share his wounds, he was willing to be carried, and he was willing to go toward Jesus instead of away from him. You know, I think about showing up to a doctor's office. I just went to get... Uh, my knees checked out. I, they were bothering me for a long time. And I was just having trouble walking. I couldn't play volleyball anymore, which is the worst. Having, having a hard time wrestling with my kids. And, and even walking was difficult. So I go up to the doctor's. And imagine me walking into a doctor's office. They finally come through the door. And he's like, hey, what's wrong? And I'm like, I'm totally fine. It's like, oh, why are you here? I just want to show you how much leg muscle I have, you know? And I'm just like flexing my thigh and calf, which is impressive. The x-ray technician <laughs> told me that I have great muscle mass. And then when she took her x-ray, she was like, wow. And I was like, is that a good wow? It's, it's never a good wow. 
Dr. Wows are never good. But imagine going to the doctor and just pretending everything's fine. How, how he would just send me home, right? I've wasted his time. But what happens when we go to the doctor's office? We, take, we strip down, we put on a, a medical gown, and we point to our wounds. We tell him what's not working. We show him uh, where we're sick. And I wonder when we come to church, when we go before the Lord, do we pretend that everything's okay? Do we go to the Lord with our accolades? Or do we come to ourselves, each other, and the Lord and say, here are the places of pain and wound in my life? Because that's how we start our healing process. We, we start by saying, I need a physician. We start by saying, I am a sinner. We start by saying, these are the places where I have a hard time getting to Jesus. And then we see the friendships that he had. Um, let me read this passage, verse 18 in the next slide. Just then some man came carrying on a stretcher, a man who was paralyzed. They tried to bring him in and he sat down uh, and set him down before him, Jesus. Since they could not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went on the roof and lowered him on the stretcher through the roof tiles into the middle of the crowd before Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said, friend, your sins are forgiven. So think about the kind of friendship this man has. And I want you, as you look at his friends, to ask, do I have friends like this? And am I here in this space to create those kinds of friendships? So this man had people who were willing to lift him. I imagine that these friends knew him and knew his wounds for years. Maybe they grew up with this man as, as boys, and he couldn't walk then. And so they would carry him fishing and lay him down as he cast a line or threw him on his back to play tag. Maybe they were growing up together, and one day this man became paralyzed from an accident. But they said, You're, I'm still with you. We're still here. And how do we navigate this life together? The way that these men treat this, uh, his, their friend who was paralyzed shows me that they had years and years of relationship, and they knew his wounds. And I wonder if we have a community at church who knows our wounds and who's willing to lift us up and walk us to Jesus. That, at church and amongst Christian friends are the only people who can walk us to the Lord, who can lift us and say, let's get to Jesus who can heal and forgive us. Your friends who don't know Jesus can't bring you to him. They might bring you to alcohol. They might bring you to a romantic relationship and try to hook you up. They might bring you to numbing your pain or to another achievement. But it's in this context, when we share our wounds, it's here that we can lift each other and bring each other to the Lord. And that conviction that only Jesus can heal us, only he can forgive our sins. And I think that's why they didn't turn away when they couldn't find a way in. They didn't give up. They didn't stand in the back of the crowd. There was this perseverance and conviction that I want to bring you to Jesus. And so what did they do? They climbed up the side of the house. Uh, in the Jewish communities, they often used their roof as a patio uh, to do social events. And they would have a, a staircase leading up to it. So they brought this man up to the staircase in front of jeering eyes and people like making hand motions like, what are you doing? And then they start digging through the tiles. As they're digging, I'm sure Jesus is fully stopped in whatever he's preaching because he's watching tiles fall down uh, from the roof. And then a man is let down. 
these men had this deep conviction that Jesus is the one to heal their friend. And I wonder, as we interact with each other as church community, are we, are we lifting each other to bring each other to the Lord? And is there a conviction behind the way we set each other before Jesus, knowing that he ultimately is the one who restores our soul, forgives our sin, and heals us? Uh, on the TOTS whiteboard at the common room said, they had faith that is through the roof. Nary was like, you should totally put it, that in there because they'll, they'll get super excited. And it was met by silence instead. And also I learned that Nary was the one who wrote that. So I don't know. I blame you, Nary, wherever you are. Um, next. So I'm, I'm thinking about our Sundays. And I'm wondering, like, this is why we carve out space to ask questions and to pray. Because we're not trying to build a large audience. In fact, I'm sure we could be a bigger church if we didn't do breakouts. But it's in those spaces I'm hoping you experience moments where you're lifted by the people around you and brought to the Lord in prayer and in sharing life. But even more so, I'm hoping that in our small groups, that we don't walk in thinking about measured responses. We're not trying to posture or manage our image, but we're there just like we go to a doctor. Here are my wounds. Will you lift me to the Lord? And where can I lift you toward him? That we would take steps to be vulnerable. And I, I love my small group because of that. I just think about last Friday, JJ, Jonathan, Eggert. Oh, by the way, we have, yeah, we're just going to have so many babies at the small group. It's going to be so crazy. <laughs> um, anyway, so uh, JJ, Jonathan, who else? Josh, was Josh there? And then um, uh, Patrick was there, uh, Chris. And we were sitting around, and we were going through the, our, our questions. And every time, we're, there, people were thoughtful. Um, they took turns. But every time we meet, I just see the way we are willing to put something significant in front of each other something that, that is dense and has weight. I never walk away feeling like we went two inches deep, and I don't really know these people. Everyone takes risks, and we take turns taking a risk. But we share about our marriages that are difficult. We share about our addictions. We share about our frustration with our kids or our struggles at work. And I feel like I'm holding their soul. I feel like we are truth to truth, spirit to spirit with one another, and before the Lord. Those, that's, the church, that's why we came together, right? I hope that's why you're here. I hope you're here because you're looking for these friends, this type of community, and you're willing to put yourself out there for that. The last thing I want to point out in the next slide is Jesus says, friend, your sins are forgiven. And I, I kind of think about the frustration, maybe, of the four friends. As it says Jesus saw their faith, right? They saw their faith, and their faith lifted this person to Jesus, brought him here for healing, but instead they got forgiveness of sins. And I'm just like, ah, we came for something else, right? We asked for a cheeseburger, give us a hot dog. Like, something's wrong here. Um, but I, I think about how when we go to the Lord for healing, and we're usually going for these really specific things, like heal my marriage, or help me with sexual addiction, or help me with this, uh, this problem in my life. He, 
often does something else first. Like, he often heals us in the place we're not asking, but it's because the place we are asking for healing or resolve is interwoven by a hundred other threads of our character, of other sins, of our idols. And so for him to dislodge this one thing means that he's touching many others. Now, there's oftentimes, almost all the other times you just heal someone physically, there's no correlation with sin. He just heals them. And it's probably because there wasn't a tie in sin in their life. But this one seemed a little different. And I think about sexual addiction again. Um, and, and Roy, he gave me permission to share. We do a podcast together, and we're doing three episodes on sexual addiction. So it's definitely top of mind for me. And he shares this story in, in our podcast, The Same Boat. Please subscribe and leave a five-star review. It's an ex- excellent podcast. Um, non-bias. And uh, anyway, so he shares a story because I'm asking, like, you know, I've seen four pastors over this last year um, become disqualified in ministry and in really brutal ways. And three of them are because of sexual addiction. And I knew all, I know all four. I would say two were close friends. And so I'm like, how did this happen where where they have this pastor part of them and then this whole other hidden life, whether it's committing adultery or, uh, or having multiple affairs, whatever it is. And he said, I, I know how it happened because I was in it. Before he was a therapist, Roy Kim, he was also a pastor. And he talks about how he was so stuck in the sexual addiction that he would be sermon prepping then take a break and game, and the gaming would divulge into pornography. He would repent and then start to sermon prep again. And then in that course of dividing his life, there was also this deep, like, learning to lie, that when we divide our life, we're learning to lie to ourselves. But in our sexual addiction, we're also pretending everything's fine when we sit in front of our wives for dinner, or putting on, or or listening to our mom's footsteps as she walks down the hall because we don't want to get caught. So in this like journey of becoming addicted to porn, there's the second subversive sin that's growing in being dishonest and lying to the people around us and, and dividing our life. And so for Roy, part of his treatment for sexual addiction is also treatment for, be, for lying for saying, hey, how do we live lives that have integrity, that are integrated, that is truthful to the people around us? So I think about this when I see Jesus heal something that this man didn't want to be healed, but had everything to do with his second healing. Jesus often does that in our life as well. Next slide is what I got out of sexual account sexual addiction accountability. And why I'm launching, why I'm talking about this so intensely in this sermon is because I think about the course of our church and how over 2020, a lot of us who have struggled with sexual addiction, which for males is statistically 60%, talking to about 60% of the room, um, and for women it's about 20 to 25%. So over 2020, we knew, man, being isolated and all the things that sexual accountability, sexual addiction would shoot up. So we did a three-week sermon series. Then we launched a 10-week workshop, if you guys remember. And during this workshop, 20 men and 20 women signed up. 
And we separated them. Roy talked to both of us over Zoom. And then we watched 10 accountability groups. And maybe it's weird, but that was probably one of the most proud moments I had of our church. Because I was like, man, we're doing it. Like, we're in it deep with one another. We're not just trying to be good Christians and, and have facades. We're sharing the hardest parts of our life and wrestling in the mud for one another. And Roy was such an integral part of helping us set that up. But a lot of these, um, but our college group continues to do that well. And a lot of the other groups have, you know, disbanded over the years. And one of my goals was to help us re-initiate uh, sexual accountability groups. So if, if this is ministering to you right now, if you feel like, I don't know where to put this, uh, put it here. So in our events part of our website, Renew Church OC uh, events, you could sign up for a sexual accountability group, and we want to place you primarily in your small groups. Of other, I hope other people sign up in your small group, but everything's anonymous until you find out who your group is. And then, or in your life stage, because every life stage has different things at stake and different things that we're wrestling with. But if, when you do this, and then when you do this, you'll find a time and place to meet, and then we'll work through Roy Kim's um, uh, curriculum. He does ten, a 10-week series over video curriculum on how to create um, an effective accountability group. But Jonathan Whitmore and I have been do this, doing this for about 12 years, a dozen years now. That's a long time. And I think about all the things that I've gotten out of this group, outside of Sundays and small groups. And maybe this is what you're looking for for this category. Maybe this is what it looks like for you to live openly in your small group in another category. Maybe you're going to open up some other um, recovery group. But for me and Jonathan, I think about how hard we worked on our boundaries so that our TV, our laptop, our phones are completely locked down. And so we have no access uh, to explicit images. And I've even taken out like Instagram and Facebook and YouTube. So people send me YouTube leaks. I'm like, I can't get to it because that's my yellow zone that leads to um, explicit images. And it's not foolproof. I could lie to my wife. I could lie to Jonathan to open it up. But in general, I go home, and I'm alone, and there's not addiction just gnawing away at my brain. The boundaries have made me feel so free to exist at home by myself or to lay on the bed with my phone. I feel free to do all the other things. And we have weekly check-ins where, again, small group might not be where we could do a weekly check-in on something so specific, but we carved out a space, Jonathan and I, every week to open up and to share how we've done this last week. We've also read a lot of material, and we've reflected openly about our past. And we choose to live in the light every day, every week with one another, and to embrace reality. I think, you know, I, I, have, bar I have boundaries for how I interact with women. Um, I'm pretty, like, liberal compared to a lot of pastors. I'll have coffee with women um, and so on. But... But my greatest boundary is how I share with Jonathan that I want to, like the moment I feel attracted to a female, which is pretty much our hard wiring as men or vice versa for women, I, I share with Jonathan. I'm like, hey, I'm really attracted to this person. But that, that part of me and, and the journey is like miles and miles away from cheating on my wife, right? and like disqualifying myself from ministry. I'm like, man, if I could share every inch with my brother 
and live in the light. Like, there's no way he's going to let me or I'm going to let myself go from attraction to adultery. What a, what a great gift um, Jonathan has given me to be able to share all those things in front of him. And because of that, he's one of my best friends. Um, when you share about sexual addiction, you kind of share about everything, like why hide how my marriage is doing when we're sharing about this. Um, we brought each other before the Lord, often carrying each other in experiencing his forgiveness, his strength, and his purpose. And we know we can't heal each other. And I can't heal you of what you're struggling with. But I'm hoping that as a community, we can put each other in front of the Lord and hear him say, you are forgiven. Hear him say, get up and walk. Hear him say, you are loved and accepted. It's his voice that we need. And that's the gift that Jonathan and I give to each other, is to place each other before the Lord. In this journey, I love Jesus more, because when you're forgiven more, you love more. I've grown in humility because I'm staring directly at this thing in my life and it's probably the most important work I do every week. I've grown in compassion because you could replace sexual addiction with any addiction. And I'm like, I get it. You know, if someone else says, you're so dumb, why would you pick up that bottle again? I'm like, I get it because just replace the thing, right? And then I also see uh, a fuller integrated self before God and others, that there's this deep sense of acceptance in all of who I am uh, before the Lord. Like he's touched all of these parts of my life and I know he knows and I know he loves me there. And then I'm thankful for my, my wife, my parents who hears these sermons and who said we fully know and accept you and Jonathan and the staff and our church. I, I hope to build, to be in the church and to help you be in a church where you feel like you can live a fully integrated self in front of the Lord and in front of one another. So um, it's online right now, a simple Google form. We'd love to help connect you to a group in your small group, um, in your life stage. We're going to finish up here with a few Jesus riddles. Um, when the scribes and Pharisees, I don't know. I don't know how to turn that corner. Um, I, did that work? I don't know. All right. When the scribes and Pharisees began to think to themselves, who is this man who speaks blasphemies because he just said, you know, your, man, your sins are forgiven, who can forgive? And they said, who can forgive sins but God alone? But perceiving their thoughts, Jesus replied to them, why are you thinking this in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take up your stretcher, and go home. Okay, so the Pharisees and scribes are gathering around Jesus all over Jerusalem, Judea, the small villages, because he's this outsider rabbi. All the rabbis go through this long system of education, being picked by another rabbi, ascending the pecking order. No one comes from the side except Jesus. He shows up, and he's healing people. He's not just a great teacher. He's demonstrating that he has the power of God, like Elijah style, not like Wilson preacher style. It's like, oh, this guy's different. But 
these people who have established a really strong hierarchical system now wants to be like, no, we are the ones who validate whether he should be preaching or not. He should come up through us. So they're gathering around them, waiting for him to trip up, but maybe there's some hope that he's the Messiah. And all of a sudden, he drops these lines, right? Your sins are forgiven, and they're like blasphemy. So they're ready to, you know, go nuts on him. And then Jesus gives this riddle. So next slide. Jesus riddle, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk, okay? You got to pick one, and then you raise your hand when I say A or B, are you, okay? Think of, think of one. I know, so much pressure. Ready? Who, which is easier to say? And then you can raise your hand a third time if you feel like it's a trick question or, you know, anything else, all of the above, whatever, okay? So who thinks it's easier to say your sins are forgiven? Raise your hand. Okay, so maybe a third, a third of the room. Who thinks it's easier to say, get up and walk? Oh, more, more people. Okay, who thinks it's a trick question, a rhetorical question? Oh, okay. So there's actually a correct answer here. It's easier answer, next slide. It's easier to say your sins are forgiven because no one can verify it, right? People might think you're crazy, but maybe... Maybe if I say, hey, Kevin, your sins are forgiven, maybe his sins are forgiven. No one really knows. But if I tell Kevin, who's, uh, you know, in a, in a, uh, in a, in a crutches because he injured himself playing basketball, uh, get up and walk, we see whether he's healed or not, right? It's verifiable. There's evidence to it. So it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because it's not uh, verifiable. But... Only God can forgive sins. That's what the Pharisees are saying, and it's true. But also, only God can heal the paralyzed. What human can heal someone who's been paralyzed for years and years? So if if only God can forgive sins and only God can heal the paralyzed, then healing the paralyzed man means that Jesus is God and that he can forgive sins. Okay? Yeah? Fun times. So fun. Jesus riddles. And then a logical proof. Very good. (laughs) Immediately, he got up before them, picked up what he had been laying on, and went home glorifying God. Then everyone was astounded, and they were giving glory to God, and were filled with awe, and said, we have seen incredible things today. Now, I, I just think again about these four men, and what, and the type of joy they were experiencing when they thought, hypothetically, We could take him fishing, and he'll be standing. We could take him dancing, and he won't be sitting on my shoulders. We can run together. Everyone was shocked at this man being healed. And I think about so many stories here of how our faith lifted each other before the Lord, and we found healing in our marriage, through suicidal ideation, We walked through depression. We walked through COVID together. So many of us have found healing because of the faith of one another. Our faith is not primarily individual. It's primarily collective. And that my faith will affect you and your faith will affect me. I'm not talking about salvation, but I'm talking about like the church family you're in. It matters that there's an interconnection between you and the people around you, their faith in God and how you see him, that our faith 
uh, there's a culture in which our faith resides. It's because you saw their faith that he says to this man, your sins are forgiven. I hope that the way we re, uh, live in community, that our faith will carry each other to Jesus. And that we would be able to rejoice like their friends rejoiced. All right, last slide. Here's a Wilson riddle before we take communion. <laughs> Which is easier to do, okay? A, and you would be lifting, raising your hand as well, uh, your sins are forgiven. Or B, get up and walk. Or C, it's a trick question, okay? Or some type of all of the above. Are you ready? Which is easier for God to do? For God to do. Do you think it's A, your sins are forgiven? Raise, raise your hand. Okay, some of you, maybe 10%, few, few laggers. Uh, is it easier for God to say, get up and walk? Raise your hands. Okay, a little bit more, and not a lot of people are participating. Um, <laughs> just want me to finish. Okay, C, uh, trick question, raise your hand. <laughs> oh, okay, everyone likes that one. So as I think about communion this morning, I think about how much harder it is for the Lord to forgive sins because, you know, he speaks. The whole universe comes to be through a few words, the land, the sea. He breathes and animates Adam. He waves his hand and waters part or, or roar or are calmed by his command. But when we think about the cross, when we hold communion this morning, we think about the cost. It wasn't a few words. It wasn't a few waves of the wrist. It was his hand being nailed. It was his, his side being pierced. It was lashes on his back. I think that's what went wrong with the Pharisees and Sadducees. They too were astonished, but they were astonished at the wrong thing. They saw one miracle, but missed the greater one, the one that would cost Jesus his life, the one that forgives our sins and allows us to be sons and daughters with him again. Today, let's take communion together. And as we do, I hope that you would hear his voice and receive the greater miracle. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And he does that with his body broken for us. Let's take that in remembrance of him. Jesus says your sins are forgiven. And he does that by laying down his life and shedding his blood for us. Let's take the cup in remembrance of him. God, this morning, we come to you together and individually. And we ask, Lord, that you would forgive our sins and that you would heal us, that we would be carried and carry others towards you, Jesus. It's by your name alone we are saved. Thank you for how you've created this community the people you have brought here. And I pray that we would always carry each other towards you. 
in the hardest parts of our life, in, our, in the places where we feel immobile, that we would carry each other towards you and be carried by others to you as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We're really grateful that you'd spend time listening to the sermon series. And we also wanted to point you to a few other resources. My wife and I wrote a children's book collection, Helping Kids bridge their faith with God's calling in their life as a businessman, as a doctor or nurse, and as a creative. Secondly, we wrote an adulting journal, which helps young adults think through this transition into adulthood, whether it's transitions in friendship, family, faith, or calling. And lastly, I want to point to a podcast that myself and another church member, Roy Kim, who's a therapist, co-host together. It's called The Same Boat. We talk about relationships. We just finished um, a series on dating. We think back to an English ministry church. And we just tackle all kinds of topics that are relevant to our life. I hope that uh, those resources enrich your life as well. And lastly, if you're looking to partner with us, on our website, we have a give section. You could give to our general fund and continue to serve our church through, um, through partnering with us financially. But if you scroll down, we have quite a few local missionaries that have called Renew Home. If you read their bio, there's also a section to give to each one of our local missionaries. We hope that all of them would be fully funded going into this year. God bless you. Thanks so much for being with us and uh, hope to to, uh, have you join us again.